0: All right, so something that fascinates me um, is is a transformation that uh, some actors will go through, will put their bodies through when they're preparing for a film role. You think about back in the day, um, De Niro got an incredible physical shape for Raging Bull. Then he packed on something like 60 pounds during the course of filming uh, to, to, to illustrate this. The, the arc of this character. Now, here's another example, Chris Pratt there on the left, before and after uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, that's a pretty, you can't tell, he's got a shirt on in one of the pictures, but that's a pretty good, uh, pretty incredible physical transformation. Um, uh, Charlize Theron there uh, on the left and right, and, uh, uh, that's uh, her uh, transformation. That's what she normally looks like on the left and on the right for her movie role, Munster, where she played a, a serial killer. So, um, and then there's, uh, there's Christian Bale and, uh, on, on, on the right-hand side, the machinist. And then right there on the left-hand side, the next year, Batman Begins. And so um, he lost something like, I don't remember, an incredible amount of weight uh, to for, for the movie The Machinist, just a really eerie thing. And, 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 I mean, the brutality that he inflicted upon his body to, uh, to lose that much weight and then, and then to, get, to get his shape back, I mean, that's incredible dedication. And so we know that whether we're trying to pack on pounds or whether we're trying to shed pounds or whether we're trying to add muscle mass or whatever, an entirely new daily regimen is required. Um, so I recently, because um, uh, because of the woman that God gave me, I agreed to enter into uh, with with my wife a season of clean eating, and uh, it's it's really been a struggle. I mean, every day I'm just so hungry, and I know I'm not the best commercial right now for clean eating. But um, I, like day one, two hours in, I was ready just to devour a bag of potato chips, bag and all. I mean, I just didn't even care. And but you know, I told my wife I'm committed. I'm going to stick this out, and um, and then I'm like, by, by lunch that day, I'm like, man, I don't see any difference in my body. This isn't even worth it. Like, I mean, I've been doing this for like four hours and no change, you know. And, and that's kind of the way we approach deeper transformation as well. That's how we approach spiritual transformation as well. When it comes to radical transformation in our hearts, radical transformation in our lives, Radical transformation in our character, often we forget that it's a process. And it's a process that we have a choice. God's granted us the freedom whether we cooperate and participate in that process or not. Jesus, if you know Jesus, he's committed to taking you to the place where you are conformed, transformed into the image of, of him, of himself. Uh, the, the, the question is, will you drag your feet kicking and screaming the whole time? Or will you and I participate in that process? And so, um, so often when it comes to character transformation... We want to just keep living the way we've always lived, keep doing what we've always done, and think, you know, when I get tempted, when I get tested, man, God's got my back. He's going to help me out. And the truth in that statement is, is God there in the moment to help us and to deliver us and to rescue us from temptation? Of course he is. Um, but if I had a major exam coming up tomorrow and said, you know, I'm not going to study. I'm just going to trust God to whisper those answers in, the ear, in my ear. You know, what would you tell me? He would say, that's not really faithful. Uh, the same Holy Spirit that's available to help me in that moment of, transfer, of 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 temptation is also available right now to help me prepare for and train for uh, and be transformed for that that temptation. If I sat here eating Twinkies, just shoveling Twinkies in my mouth and saying, you know what, I'm just I'm trusting that by this time tomorrow, if God wants me to have a six pack, I mean He's going to give it. He's going to give me a six six pack abs. I mean, if it, if not, I mean it must not have been His will. You would think that sounds ridiculous. And yet that's exactly how many of us approach character transformation. We want to keep doing what we've always done and then blame God if nothing changes in our heart. So in Daniel 6, we arrive at the most famous passage in the book. How many of us, your teachers, your Sunday school teachers taught you about Daniel in the lion's den once upon a time? Man, both services, we got to talk to y'all Sunday school teachers, like zero participation. Uh, I mean, y'all Sunday school teachers really owe y'all an apology. But some of us that had good Sunday school teachers, we heard about Daniel in the lion's den, okay? It's the most famous story uh, from the book of Daniel. And remember King, King Darius passes this law. He's really tricked into passing a law that for 30 days nobody could worship anybody but him. And uh, he says, okay, that sounds pretty good. But really what's going on is as other people in his government are wanting to trick him into signing this law, and it's going to end up getting Daniel put to death. So the punishment, if you prayed to any god besides the king for this 30-day period is, you'll be thrown into the lion's den. So, so it, you might have seen David Green's man cave. Well, back in the day, kings had uh, lion caves, but the lions were not taxidermied. They were, they were living, okay? So they would hunt these lions and then keep them alive, and, you know, you got to feed lions something, okay? And so um, Daniel knows that a law has been passed, that he, he's not supposed to pray to anybody but the king, but he continues doing what he's always done. He continues praying to the one true God. And so this act of faithfulness on Daniel's part isn't just a random response to a test. This is the fruit of his life devoted to God every day leading up to this point. Um, Daniel has been, long before he got to the lion's den, Daniel has been making daily decisions to place God first in his life. And that's just what I want to appeal to us with today, is before you end up in in the lion's den, uh, put Christ first. Daniel daily chose to live for God long before he got to the lion's den. And some of us are just wanting to wait till we get there, and then maybe we'll decide. But we got to decide now daily. Daniel's choice is not just random. It's also not just rebellious. Somebody, anybody have that rebellious streak through you where, you know, the, government, the government's going to take away my guns. I'm going to go buy 20 uh, machine guns, you know. And, and hey, no government's going to tell me not to pray. Well, that's not Daniel, okay? Daniel's not just saying, oh, I'm suddenly going to start praying now because the government said I couldn't. Man, he's been doing this all along. This is just who he is. This has been his daily practice all along. So, so we like to do this thing. Well, no government's going to tell me I can't pray. Well, man, you've got 100% freedom to pray right now. 100% freedom to tell anybody you want to tell about Christ. Are we doing it? Hello. Even quieter than the earlier question asked. And so Daniel isn't just rebelling. This is who he is. This is who his character has already become because he's daily chosen to put God first. Rather than trying to replicate what Daniel did in the lion 's den let 's replicate what he did before he got to the lion 's den let 's look at his life outside the lion 's den and replicate that. So we often imagine i don 't know if you ever imagine what you would do if you were placed like in a terrible situation, like how you would respond um, i 've shared this before you know we, when I used to fly a lot, I would think about what would I do if terrorists tried to take down the plane and I just imagine that in that moment, the Spirit of God would give me the power to roundhouse kick the terrorist in the face like Chuck Norris. You know, but like I never signed up for I never signed up for karate classes. I never I never took any of those courses. Didn't even watch a YouTube video. I just figured, yeah, moment comes. I mean, that's just going to be my supernatural gift. I'm just going to roundhouse kick him in the face. And I don't know what I would do if like he was a black belt or something. But I would. And, but that's how we approach temptation. We approach test. We approach trial. We approach life, thinking, man, God's just going to give me what I need in the moment. And so often he does. Anybody ever been in the moment and God's just given you exactly what you need? Yes! And the deeper work of the Spirit, the deeper work of the Spirit, is God wants to daily transform your heart, my heart, our feelings, even our reactions, to bring those into conformity with the person of Jesus Christ. So, Dallas Willard, who I respect a lot, author, teacher, um, he, he passed away a few years ago, but he talked about the difference between training versus trying. If um, if you are tasked or given the opportunity or the punishment of running a, a, a marathon, you know, maybe you go, maybe you put in months and months of preparation. H- how long does it take to prepare for a marathon? Three years? <laughs> Days? Three months. Okay. Three months if you're in good shape already, all right? And so... For the rest of us, we might be looking at, at, at a little longer than that. And so if you've trained for that marathon, then you're prepared to get out there and run that marathon. But what if I'm just sitting on my couch eating potato chips, and I say, you know what? I think I'm going to go run a marathon right now. No matter how hard I try, it's not going to be pretty. And a lot of us are trying to live the Christian life. But have we entered into this training process, Jesus calls discipleship. He calls take up your cross every day. Are we training to be like Christ? So back when I was a kid, everybody wanted to be like Mike. And so every fifth grader that was doing a layup had his tongue hanging out of his mouth. As if if we, if we, if we did a layup with our tongue hanging out of our mouth, we would be like Mike. That's, Mike did that, but Mike did a lot more than that, right? Um, right now, Steph Curry has done for the three-point uh, three-point shot what, what Michael Jordan did for the slam dunk. And so if, if, if you're a basketball player and you're just out trying to rain down threes during the game, but you're not working on your three-point shot outside of the game, just because you're doing what Curry does on the court, if you're not replicating what he does off the court, it's not going to do you any good on the court. And so if we do this thing where I'm going to do what Daniel did when he got tested, or I'm going to do what Jesus did when he got tested, yeah, but we got to do what they did when they were off the court we got to do what they were doing when they weren't in the spotlight. So what choices did Daniel make before the lion's den that prepared him for saying yes to God? Daniel daily chose to live for God long before the lion's den. So let's dive into chapter 6. Let's look at a little bit of Daniel's character. Now in Daniel 6, remember at the end of Daniel 5, Daniel 4 and 5 parallel each other. You've got these two proud Rulers that get humbled. First, there's Nebuchadnezzar in chapter four. Then you've got uh, Belshazzar in chapter five. Uh, Daniel three and six parallel one another. In chapter three, you've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who are delivered from the fiery furnace. And now in chapter six, you've got Daniel delivered from the lions. And really beautiful and amazing the way this book is structured. All right. Um, But Daniel, by this point, is about 80 years old. Okay. He's been, he's, he's, he's walked through multiple kings. He's still standing. He's been faithful. And he's still exhibiting as an 80-year-old man the character that he exhibited as a teenager back there in chapter 1. So who likes the thought of being an 80-year-old and still having the character you have as a teenager? That's why we've got to surrender our... Cool. That's why we've got to surrender our lives to Christ early. Surrender now. Because who you are now, apart from Christ, is who you're going to be. All right? And so... It pleased, verse 1, Darius to set over the kingdom on 120 satraps, like mayors. There's like 120 mayors or governors that oversee not just Babylon, but the whole kingdom that Persia has conquered. To be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one. So Daniel isn't overlooked when Darius comes to power. Here's this 80-year-old Jewish guy who just puts God first. And you know what? Darius finds him. God always finds his Daniel. God always finds his Joseph. And maybe you feel like you're the Joseph or the Daniel in your workplace and God's forgotten all about you, but he doesn't and he won't. Daniel went through a lot of stuff before this point. But God hasn't forgotten about him. So he's he's one of three that oversee these 120 satraps, which oversee the whole kingdom. Verse 3, then Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. So he became distinguished. He's not elbowing his way to the table saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. He's just showing up to work on time every day. He's just doing what he's supposed to do. His gifts and his character speak for themselves. He has a reputation of excellence. An excellent spirit is the sense of um, he's outstanding, he's extraordinary, he shines. He's easy to love. He's got integrity. There's something that sets Daniel apart. That something that sets him apart is the spirit of God. That's the excellent spirit that's in him. It's the spirit of God. The spirit of God will set you apart if you will let him, if you will cooperate. Next, we find that he's faith, faithful. The king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. The high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault. They couldn't say, you know what, he's, his smoke breaks are too long, or he's stealing from the company, or he's, you know, he's, he's flirtatious with the ladies. They could find no grounds to accuse him, except that he was really taking this God thing a little too far. But isn't that beautiful? Don't you wish that that was the only negative thing that could be said about you? Well, guess what? That's where the Spirit of God is taking us. That's what he wants to form in you and me. Peter says in the New Testament that it's better to suffer for doing what's right than to suffer for doing what's wrong. And so, and so they can't find anything to accuse him about except, man, he's just a little crazy about God. He's faithful. No error and no fault was found in him. He's not negligent. He's not corrupt. He does his job. He does it well. So again, he's about 80 years old now. These are character traits we've seen in him since he was a teenager. His character's been formed over a lifetime of trusting God. You know, the Spirit of God transforms us from the inside out. And there are these moments, at this, again, where the Spirit just does in you this incredible, miraculous thing. And then there's this deep miracle that happens over time where he actually transforms our desires, our affections, and our reactions. We can cooperate in that, or we can avoid that. Daniel daily chose to live for God long before the lion's den. So if we want to think about a picture of how um, transformation happens, Paul in the New Testament, Sondra read a few verses of this earlier in in Colossians chapter 3. We've got it on the screen. Paul um, gives us a great model, a great picture of how transformation happens. He says, since or if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand, of God. Set your minds, your affection, your heart on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died. And your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, you will be revealed with him in glory. And so Paul, before he tells us to do anything, he reminds us of who we are. You're someone who's died and risen with Christ. If we're going to be transformed, we've got to understand our identity. And the gospel shapes, if you're, if you're a Christian, if you know Jesus, the gospel shapes your identity. The gospel, the good news of Jesus as Lord, transforms your identity. And so if we're going to be transformed, if our character is going to change, that begins on a level of identity. Who are you? Fundamentally, who are you? Who does God say you are? Well, God's word says, if you know Jesus, you're one who has died and risen with him. That's your identity. Next, Paul talks about our desire, what, what, what we love. He says, set your mind on the things uh, uh, above. What are we thinking about? What are we, what are we thinking about? He, go, he goes on to say in verse 5, he says, um, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. It's all idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you once walked, you used to be this way when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Since you put off the old self with its practices, to put on the new self, which is being renewed day by day. He goes on to talk about letting the peace of Christ rule in your heart, letting the word of God dwell in you richly. And so uh, transformation also, uh, it not only affects our identity, but it affects our desire. So transformation affects, the gospel affects, Who you are, your identity, it affects your desire. It affects what you love. You become what you are, what God says you are. You also become what you love. So Paul's telling us, let Christ pull your love, your affection, your thoughts away from where they used to be and onto him. And then the gospel affects our practices, our habits, what we do. Because not only do you become who God says you are, not only do you become what you love, but you become what you do. Have you found this to be true? That what you do over and over and over repetitively, that shapes who you are? Mm -hmm. And so he gives these new practices, letting Christ's word dwell richly in you. Practices like Nicole shared about, you know, I was serving, I was worshiping, uh, my heart wasn't in it, but I just kept doing what I knew God called me to do and eventually God led me out of the dark place I was in. Daniel daily chose to live for God long before The lion's den. Um, So identity, desire, practices or habits, what does the Spirit of God say to each of those? So going back to Daniel 6, going back to Daniel 6, they can't find anything to complain about him except for the law of his God. Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. What does Daniel do when a loss passed saying he can't pray to God? He just keeps doing what he was already doing. So Daniel, before he got to the lion's den, his character was forged through suffering. That process, that word forge, that does not sound like an easy or fun or painless uh, painless process. Forging involves being heated up and melting and then being reshaped. And when Daniel as a teenager was ripped away from his homeland, saw his loved ones killed, his city burning, the walls knocked down, uh, marched in chains across the world, placed in Babylon's indoctrination machine, that was suffering. And yet through that suffering, God was forging him. All the suffering you've experienced, I'm not saying that's from God, But God uses all of it to forge and to do something in us. And our pain does not have to be wasted. God doesn't want an ounce of your pain to be wasted. So we say, well, man, I wish I wasn't going through this divorce or I wish that I didn't have this addiction that I was battling. Or, or, man, you don't know, man, how hard it is that that I've lost this loved one or I'm going through this hard time. And God wants to use that test to result in a testimony. I mean, Nicole's testimony wouldn't have happened if a test hadn't come first, right? And so... God is shaping something. He's forging something. Daniel's character was forged through suffering. Next, Daniel's character was formed. It was formed through discipline. Um, You know, I'm free on the piano. I'm free to play skip to my loo and chopsticks. But my wife is free to play anything she wants to play. I can play a few chords on the guitar, but Kellen's free to pick up a guitar and play whatever he wants to play. Why? They've both exhibited incredible discipline. And as we are desperate enough to be disciplined in our walk with Christ, when you add the Spirit of God to discipline, you end up with freedom. And we're going to say more about freedom in a moment. But Daniel's been formed through spiritual discipline. When when he didn't feel like it, his life's punctuated and characterized by worship. His life's characterized by and shaped by community. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Daniel's got community with other believers. And that forms you. Who your community is shapes you. Daniel's um, formed by Scripture. Back in Daniel 1, why does he choose to not eat the king's food? Because, because he's basing his, his, his behavior on God's Word, not what everybody else is doing. Even when all of his, uh, the, most of his friends are selling out and going along, going along with the crowd, Daniel says, I'm going to be different, because he roots his life in God's Word. And Daniel's life is formed through prayer. He's going to pray devotedly, courageously, consistently, no matter what the king on earth says. Daniel's characterized by defiant faith. And he could have said, Man, what's God done for me lately? The walls of our city are knocked down. Cities, I can, I can imagine the smoke coming out of the temple where it's been destroyed. I've been here since I was a kid. I've been here 70 years. I'm an 80 year old man now. And now God's saying he's going to, th- uh, now the king's saying he's going to throw me in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the lion's den, man. Enough of that. But yet his faith defies his circumstances. He says, There is a God and I'm going to trust him. There is a God in heaven, and he's not limited to Jerusalem. He's as much here in Babylon as he is anywhere, and I don't care what any man says. I'm going to serve. I'm going to trust him. So that forging and that forming results in freedom. We'll wrap up in a few minutes. What's it mean to be free in Christ? Part of what it means is that the Spirit of God is operative even in my reactions. So you ever have an encounter with somebody and you want to throat punch them? Anybody? Daily? Okay? And most of the time, you probably don't throat punch them. Okay? But there's this little thing that goes on. You say, okay, I, I feel like throat punching this person because they are this, 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 and this. But God's Word says... Turn the other cheek. The fruit of the Spirit is, is kindness and love. Jesus probably wouldn't throat punch someone. And so we, we go through all that, and in that moment, we say, you know what? Even though I want to do this, I'm going to respond this way instead. We're familiar. Whatever the temptation. Maybe your temptation isn't throat punching. Whatever the temptation is, we, we, when we overcome temptation, we go through, here's what I want to do, here's what, how I want to react, and yet I'm going to choose to respond this way. Well, over time, as we cooperate with God's Spirit, as we let the Word of Christ richly dwell in us, and it just keeps working in us, as we participate in His uh, Spirit-leading, Spirit-forming work, what ends up happening is that even our reactions begin to get transformed. And where God's taken you, if you know Jesus, is He's taken you to the place where it's rare that you want to throat-punch anybody anymore. It's rare that you want to cheat on your spouse anymore. Hopefully never that you want to cheat on your spouse anymore. The things that used to appeal to you no longer appeal. And that's when we know that that deep work of the Spirit is happening, is that even our reactions are being changed. And that's freedom. That's freedom. And so in the meantime, we keep fighting that fight. We keep fighting the fight with the flesh. We keep bringing God's Word. We keep taking every thought captive. And there comes a point where freedom happens. And and even we find that Man, we're free in Christ and on a deep level of our soul. And the key ingredient to all this is John chapter 15, verse 5. Abide in me, Jesus says, and I will abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is better. Um, I love like movie soundtracks and, and listening to scores of, uh, 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 for films. I love listening to the Dances with Wolves movie soundtrack or the Braveheart soundtrack, and you know the music gets big and loud, and you think, oh, this is what was happening in the movie, or it gets really mellow and dramatic. And, 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 and what you find when you listen to soundtracks or listen to much classical music is you find that, that this, this, the, these, these incredible works of art, these incredible musical pieces have these themes that re- replay over and over and over again. So we look at the Old Testament, we look at Joseph, and we look at Daniel, and we think, man, they're so similar. Both of them get separated from their family, both of them get thrown in pits, both of them get elevated by... Powerful people, then they get thrown down, uh, and, and God's faithful somehow to them, and they're the two most shining examples of faithfulness in the Old Testament. They're the two Old Testament characters that come closest to modeling the character of Jesus Christ for us. And then we turn the page to the New Testament, we find Jesus, and we find, wow, Joseph's story, Daniel's story looks so similar to Jesus. Now he left his home and came to a far country, and he stands before a king, and he's cast down and betrayed by those that, that he loves. And he's hung on a cross, but nobody came and rescued him. And then he's put into a tomb, and a stone is rolled over the entrance. At the end of the story in Daniel 6, Darius, he, 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 he puts Daniel down there in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the den, and he says, hey, I'm praying for, I'm pulling for you, buddy. I pray your, your God can do something here. He has a sleepless night. He runs to the tomb the next morning, and the stone is still in front of the opening. His seal is still there. He says, Daniel, Daniel. And Daniel says, I'm here. And all the, you know, the king throws all the, he lets Daniel out and he throws all the bad guys and their families and everybody in that and the lions just devour them. Pretty escalated quickly. Sort of reminds us there's echoes of Mary running to the tomb on that Easter morning. Finding that stone rolled away, finding Christ not just alive, but Risen. Why do we find these same movements happening over and over and over again? Because God's the composer who wrote this piece of music. And when Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, what he's doing is he's inviting you to join the band, to take up your instrument and join the song that he's writing. And so your song is going to have elements of betrayal from others. It's going to have elements of being brought low, and elements of being risen up with Christ, and that's your story, and you and I have the choice whether we're going to take up that instrument and play the music that, that our composer has written, or whether we're going to be over here on the side of the stage just playing a cowbell to our own beat as loud as we want to play, it. and the choice is yours. Are you going to make your own music, or are you going to join in the song your king has written? Are you listening to the conductor, or are you doing your own thing? You know, Darius made a foolish law. And because of the rules of that place, even when he wanted to change his mind, he couldn't. It was set in stone. And so he had to, he was powerless to save Daniel. There's kings that cannot rescue you. And there's a king who can. We put our trust in all kinds of kings today. There's kings that cannot rescue you, but there's one king who can. And he delivered and rescued Daniel. He wants to do that for you. And Daniel chose to live for God long before the lion's end. So as the band's coming, I want to close with uh, Romans 8. Um, We had the privilege of going to a wedding yesterday. Wedding for a special young lady that I met, Sondra and I met when she was four years old, younger than any of my kids are now. And then to go and watch her be married was a beautiful thing. And, and, and as, as we said in the venue there that her father had built for her with his own two hands, as the time for the bride to enter got nearer and nearer, everybody started shifting around their seats, and everybody was looking around, my kids and, and us and everybody. Everybody just wanted to catch a glimpse of the bride. It reminded me of Romans 8, 18. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not... Worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The whole creation is just standing on tiptoe waiting for the bride of Christ to be revealed in all of her glory. And those doors came open and the bride entered and she was radiant. And that groom would have loved her if she'd have been wearing her Walmart sweatpants, sipping a big gulp. He would have loved her. But she was radiant, and it showed that it was her joy to meet her groom. One day, the sky will be torn open, and the king is coming for his bride, and he's going to love you if you got your Walmart sweats on, sipping a Slurpee. He's going to love you. But man, I want to be found as one who was ready. I want to be found as one who was eagerly anticipating his arrival. I want to be found as part of the bride of Christ, spotless and without blemish. I don't want to wait until that day. I want to prepare for him this day because it is our joy to serve our king. But man, that all sounds well and good, but you don't know what my life's like. You don't know about my divorce. You don't know about my addiction. You don't know about the sick person in my family. You don't know. I don't. I don't. But will you do this? Will you trust Jesus for the next day? And then the day after that, will you get out of bed tomorrow? Will you hit your knees and will you surrender your day to him? Will you surrender your life to him day by day? by day and just see what what he might be able to do even in your circumstances so if you're here today and you don't know him there's never been a moment where you've said you know what it's time for me to pick up my instrument and learn to play it there's never been a moment where you surrendered your life to christ take a moment now just, just search your heart ask yourself do i know christ